I was talking to my singer and Sunday crush, Jenna, about all the gigs I have been playing with totally different groups lately. Uh, if you're not familiar, I've played shows with Jerf, Sunday Crush, a Women of Country tribute, and a Women of Disco tribute all within a few weeks of each other. Uh, so she asked me, how are you playing all these gigs? I responded with basically, I can't tell you how, but I can tell you why. And I sent her a picture of a book I'm reading, which is called When I Say No, I Feel Guilty. Welcome to Get Offset. My name is Emily and has anyone told you that you have such a great voice? It really suits you. I know it's weird to hear your own voice, but I promise it's perfect the way that it is. In 1979, the best new artist category at the Grammys was uh, kind of interesting. It included uh, The Cars, legendary, Elvis Costello, even more legendary in my opinion, Chris Ray, not super familiar with his work, but I've heard a few of his songs and it seems like he's had a pretty good career. Toto, I haven't listened to them a lot, but again, big career and a taste of honey. You know, the uh, boogie oogie oogie people. Disco band Taste of Honey won the award uh, and then beating out both the Cars and especially Elvis Costello, both of whom are Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, is largely considered one of the biggest misses in Grammy history, and it absolutely was. Listen, it's obviously impossible to know which artists are one day going to be in the Rock Hall, which uh, duh, did not even exist at the time. Add in disco backlash, and yeah, people aren't going to look back fondly on this particular choice of the Grammys voters. But damn, what an enormous mess. I'm probably biased. I've been a huge Elvis Costello fan since I was a teenager. He's the reason I play Jazz Masters after all. I think he's just a genius, a killer songwriter, and an underrated live performer. That he lost to A Taste of Honey has kind of been a joke in the music community for literally decades. This brings me back to what I was talking about earlier. I played guitar in a house band for a Women of Disco tribute night this past Saturday and A Taste of Honey's Boogie Oogie Oogie, uh, which I'd never really listened to, was on the set list. Yeah, it's it's a goofy song. I mean, so goofy the name is silly as hell it's repeated a lot it's literally just a song about dancing it's easy for us now to not realize what a massive hit this song was at the time though um unlike a lot of songs that were big hits you know not all of them really stand the test of time not all of them really get used in a lot of pop culture moving forwards they don't get a lot of sync placements they don't get a lot of you know mainstay on the radio even pop stations that play like classic rock from the time or even some funk from the time rarely play disco. Uh, so Boogie Oogie Oogie has kind of been lost to the sands of time. Another reason being, of course, they didn't have a really long career. But again, this song was huge. According to Wikipedia, it was the first song on Columbia Records to sell over 2 million copies, and it was a crossover success both on the disco charts and on the pop charts. And let me tell you, that song is cool as hell. 
it's got such a great groove and it was really fun to learn and play. And I was embarrassed when I pulled up a video of a live performance to, you know, play along to see what they're doing live versus in the studio. Because one of the things about disco is that it was such a dubbed genre. Like there were there are so many parts on some of those songs. So I wanted to pull up a live performance and see like what are they actually doing. I couldn't really find a live live performance, but I did find one where they're playing the instruments. And I'm again embarrassed that I didn't realize the women who were singing Janice Marie Johnson and Carlita Doran were actually playing the bass and guitar respectively. Much respect and how the hell didn't I know that? Listen y'all, disco is tough to play, especially, especially the bass work. For a lot of those songs, including Boogie Oogie Oogie, the bass is the hook. And yet for some reason, Janice Marie Johnson and Carlita Doran are rarely mentioned when you talk about female guitarists. And that is such a bummer. But why is that? Is it because they only had, you know, the one big crossover hit? Because it's disco? Other reasons? I mean, it's probably a mix. But let's go ahead and give it up for these two. That song is fun. The bass is, like, killer. The guitar part is so appropriate and has such a great groove that I just could not could not replicate. Listen, that song, I get it. Still don't think, still don't think it should have won a Grammy for Best New Artist. So before I talk like about playing music and all that stuff, new gear or whatever, um, I, I do want to talk about something that I saw when I was perusing guitar.com. Um, I, specifically, I wanted to talk about the allegations that George Lynch made five years ago about PV amps using prisoner labor to build amplifiers at a significant discount in labor cost. It was a singular comment made on a podcast that didn't get much traction nor corroboration either anonymously or on background. So the fact that KDH decided to bring it up with absolutely no new information is frustrating to me as someone who is disgusted at the idea of private companies profiting from paying inmates a fraction of minimum wage. And I mean, sometimes these inmates take home 23 cents on a dollar. Um, and that's not even 23 cents on a dollar, actually. That's 23 cents on like a $5 wage. That's Oh my gosh. Just go watch the documentary 13th if you haven't. Uh, it really opened my eyes to uh, the things that a lot of these prisons are, are doing right now. Um, I could talk about this a lot. I'm not going to right now, but what I am going to talk about is uh, the lobbying of accusations like that without corroboration. Because if PV is, in fact, using um, prisoner labor to build their amps. That's a, that's something that a lot of people disagree with. Um, listen, I'm not naive. I know that there are a lot of things in my possession, a lot of things that I consume that benefit from unethical labor, but, uh, you have to participate in society to change things. And a company like PV, it's a lot easier to pressure that kind of, it would be a lot easier, I should say, for people on the outside to pressure that company to change their ways than to say Apple. You kind of have to have 
smartphones at this point, a lot of our electronics are made in in Asia and some of those wages and some of those factories are kind of gross. But let's let's get back to like the lobbying of accusations like that. If we're going to lobby these accusations and we are going to amplify them, we need to be damn sure that we're right or at the very least have significant proof. Otherwise, it's nothing, nothing but clickbait. It's TMZ shit. Personally, I want to do more research, interviews, etc. before I say a lot more about this. I do want to say that PD responded to Guitar.com's request for comment, called the allegations false, also saying that they had no record of a request for comment from KDH. So please take with that, um, take from that what you will. I'll also say I talked to somebody who this is not like my favorite way of like getting information. Talk to somebody who does have a friend at PV who also says the allegations are false. Um, and one of the things about this comment being made five years ago is that other than uh, like a handful of people who commented on, on KDH's video, one saying, oh, I thought they were using that back. I, I thought everybody knew that. Like a couple, couple things like that that aren't really like even whisper network level accusations and like one story that then other commenters were like that that didn't happen um <laughs> in five years no one has come forward even on background which is different than off the record for the record um that that that's that doesn't bode well for the truthfulness of the allegations Another commenter on that video said something like, I, I'd heard they were using prisoner labor back in the 80s. Uh, George Lynch's comments kind of imply that the labor being used is from a private prison in Meridian. And the private prison in Meridian, Mississippi, where PV Amps is also based, um, it was built in 1999. So the idea that this started in the 80s with that prison is uh, impossible mathematically. I don't know if there was another prison in, around there before that. There could have been. And the prison in Meridian is for um, people who are severely mentally ill, probably not the best uh, people to use for labor anyway. And I was looking at some news organizations and the Mississippi Correctional Facilities published a list of like 150 companies that were using inmate labor. And I was really having a hard time finding that, finding the list. But I found a map that had like the locations of the centers where prisoner labor is used. And there's nothing in in Meridian, Mississippi. There's nothing in that county that I could see. So I did a lot of digging. I looked at organizations that use uh, places like ALEC, ALEC, uh, so people will publish lists of companies that go through ALEC and similar to use prison labor because not not a lot of companies hire those like prisoners directly, but they'll go through another organization. And I couldn't find PV on those lists. And the onus is on a journalist, which you know people like to call KDH, um, to make to have at least some sort of tangible proof with your allegations. Not just like the undercover boss episode with PV was awful. I haven't even watched it. I've just heard about the fallout and or in the, in that like George Lynch made one comment. 
it's entirely possible that PV uses parts that are made by prisoners, but to, 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 to lobby the allegation or the accusation that PV themselves are using prisoner labor. If you are aware of this happening and are interested in talking on background or off the record or are interested in leading a journalist or somebody to like the truth, if that is the truth, please do reach out to whomever you feel comfortable in whatever capacity you feel comfortable. Um, and, you know, if, if this is something you feel strongly about, like that word getting out, again, just that nobody has said like, oh, yeah, my cousin lives in Meridian and everybody knows this is happening. That there, I haven't even heard anything like that in like the week since this video dropped. It doesn't bode well for the accusations. And again, the the onus is on a journalist to make that case, to make that story. Because PV can't really prove that they don't use prison labor. You can't prove a negative like that unless they showed like their entire balance sheet, which why the hell would they do that? Um, you, you, you can't prove the negative. It's, it's up to a journalist or someone making an accusation like that to that level to prove a positive. So that's that. I, if I get more information, I will definitely talk about it. Um, it's a practice that I disagree with. It's a very legal practice, though. I've also been told by someone in Mississippi that as far as they know, it's not legal for private companies to profit from prisoner labor. That being said, uh, Correctional facilities are often uh, corrupt, the, especially the prison Meridian. I looked it up. Um, the East Mississippi Correctional Facility, I believe it's what it's called. There have been a lot of issues with that prison concerning um, conditions, living conditions, uh, and charges of corruption. So, again, take with that what you will. It's a very nasty accusation to make. I don't like making nasty accusations without a lot of proof. So that's that's a problem I have in general with gossip. Um, so <laughs> let's go ahead and move away from that before I, before I say something that's going to get me in trouble with somebody's much larger fan base. So the other night I wrapped up my last unique gig until early September when I'm doing another Women of Country Night at the Royal Room in Seattle. That's going to be the first Thursday of the month. It's going to be more like a Women of Folk night, uh, but it's going to be really cool. But let's talk about the past couple weeks. I was so stressed about the two gigs pa this past week. I don't play music full time. I'm a copywriter full time. And in my free time, I play music and I do get offset. So all of my free time was spent learning songs by everyone from Linda Ronstadt and Katie Lang to Donna Summer and A Taste of Honey. And I'm going to be honest, the stress sucked, but I think I did a really good job. I like to talk about how stress exists on a bell curve and there is like the, the peak of that bell curve is the optimal stress level because let's say the x axis is x axis is the amount of stress the y axis is your productivity so if you don't have enough stress 
then you're probably not getting anything done because you don't have the get up and go to do it. And then if you have too much stress, you just break down completely. But there's a sweet spot for stress. And I think I must have been living in it because um, I feel like I did a really good job. I had a few prepared solos each night and I felt like for the most part, they sounded the way I wanted them to. However, I missed my first note on the solo in Linda Ronstadt's uh, classic from the DreamWorks film, An American Tale, Sorry Fifle, uh, because my pedal tuner was on. What a rookie move. And last night during Hot Stuff, the sax player tried to take my solo and the singer and Priscilla and I both looked at her with a gentle, it's not your turn, look on our faces. So I came in, I looked at her, she faded out. No one knew. No one in the audience was none the wiser. And it was so cool. Like, it was, I just, what a, what a hot song, you know. Listen, I'm sure I hit a few wrong chords here and there, but nothing egregious, you know. Nothing where you're positive that people in the crowd heard your wrong note or chord and, like, noticed. I mean, the last note is really what matters, uh, ultimately. And it felt really, everything, yeah, it felt really good, considering the Disco Night only had one rehearsal and we didn't even get through half the songs in that one rehearsal. It's kind of amazing how things uh, end up coming together. And they always do seem to end up coming together in those. And for the Women of Country Night, the uh, none of the singers changed the keys last minute, which I think might be the first time that's ever happened. So kudos to Ms. Chambers for being a, the sheriff we needed in, in the house band. And, and the other night, the disco gig, it felt so good seeing the crowd just like dancing all night. Everyone was such a great sport. One thing I really like to do when I'm on stage, especially with, you know, uh, these kinds of nights, um, is I, I like to see the other band members' partners and the singers' partners in the audience, just looking at their their loved one up there doing their thing because like my husband goes to almost every show I play and he's always up people always talk about oh he's up there and he's like filming and taking pictures and stuff and it was really really cute the the bassist um Ursula her partner was just obviously so proud and some of the singers partners were like especially like into it which is super cool um I just it just makes me just it's one of those things that just really really warms my heart so you're still listening after about 18 minutes and uh, maybe 20, I don't know anymore. <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Um, please consider supporting us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You get access to our exclusive Discord server. And for $10 a month, I will send you a merch item of your choice. So uh, please consider doing that. We also have affiliate links. I especially love the Sweetwater affiliate link. So that link is in the show notes. Uh, it's a great way to support the channel doing things you're maybe going to do anyway. And one thing uh, that a lot of us YouTubers and podcasters who have that Sweetwater affiliate program really love about Sweetwater is we know they're going to take care of our listeners and do them right. They have the some of the best customer support in the business. They always have great sales deals, knowledgeable salespeople. It's just, I'm always impressed when I go there, when I buy from there. Um, and a few times I've gotten a guitar from from Sweetwater. Even the, like for demoing, 
I'll get like a litany of pictures of that specific guitar in advance. And that's one of my favorite things about getting a guitar from Sweetwater. It's so cool. So please consider checking out those affiliate links. Um, and let's get back to the show. I will say tragedy did strike at my Sunday crush gig the other week. My X5 wireless system, which had worked great during soundcheck, was not functioning correctly when we were setting up. My signal was cutting in and out, and rather than chancing it, I borrowed a cable from the venue to plug into my gold foil Jazzmaster. Unfortunately, it had a straight angle cable. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know what happened at the end. But essentially, at the end of the set, which for the record was like the second time my sound is cut out at the end of a Sunday Crush show. So I think I'm going to start that board from scratch. I have no idea what's going on. Um, but, the, you know, got mad, kind of tossed my guitar, wasn't really thinking about it, just dropped it. And at the end of the set, I was wrapping up the cable and noticed there was no longer a quarter inch jack at the end. Oh, it had snapped clean off. I don't really remember dropping my guitar on the face. Usually I just kind of drop, like kind of slide it over on the back and it's never a, a big deal. And, uh, I guess I, I guess I dropped on the face. I fully don't remember doing this. Um, but it's obviously completely my fault. When I looked at the jazz master, I fully collapsed the output jack on the guitar. Never for, I never found that quarter inch jack though, which is the weird part in, in my opinion. So the jack, the quarter inch snapped clean off the cable the guitar had a collapsed input jack, which is, you know, just the pit guard, who cares? Um, and then the quarter inch cable wasn't in there. I, it's, I just never found it. It was weird, right? Normally, you know, I should say, normally this is an easy fix, right? All I need to do is get a new pit guard. Too bad they don't sell aftermarket pit guards for the gold foil jazz master. Don't worry, though. I've asked my friend Jason to make a new mint guard for the gold foil jazz master. But I also reached out to Sweetwater about the new Fender Cunefe jazz master pickups. And they're sending me a set to demo. I am super excited about these. I wanted to play them at GearFest, but I wasn't able to get them in a really isolated environment. And if you're wondering why people are so excited about these actual new Cunefe pickups... Uh, it's because the Cunefe material hasn't been available for a long time. It used to be very widely available because they were used in speedometers for automobiles. But as cars stopped using the, you know, the old style speedometer, um, they switched to digital ones. It became impossible to find Cunefe because it's my understanding, uh, supply and demand the, the guitar industry had like a very small fraction of that supply. The car industry had the biggest, so people just stopped stopped making it. But um, I've also bought a Deco Boom pit guard and a Gun Street wiring harness. Uh, I got one that our Patreon supporter Tom Kelly pointed out. So thanks, Tom. I've also bought a router because the Goldfoil Jazzmaster doesn't have a swimming pool route underneath it. It's just a standard palm router, and I'm going to watch a bunch of videos and do some tests before I dig into the Jazzmaster, but I'm still a little nervous, so please let me know what tips, tricks, or resources you have for routing a guitar cavity. 
It doesn't have to be perfect, obviously, but I'd like to do a good job. And this is the biggest guitar project I've attempted in a while. Weirdly, things aren't slowing down for me anytime soon either. I have two gigs with Jerf this week, Thursday at the Tractor Tavern in Seattle. We're on at nine. And then Friday, we're playing some free thing in Eastlake at five, maybe? Treasure Tavern's at 9, Eastlake's at 5. I don't remember what I said. Whoops. Um, then I am going to uh, Germany for 42 Gear Street. Thanks to Sweetwater for sponsoring that, that trip. I am nervous but excited, and I'm sure I'm going to have all kinds of stories when, when I'm back, and I'm probably going to eat a lot of schnitzel, spatzel, and sauerkraut. So I am... I'm going to have a tummy ache for sure. Well, that's it for this week. I have to get back to the grind. But, you know, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. Until next time, my name is Emily. Goodbye.